everyone, welcome back. I'm your co-host, Jackie Spinell. And I'm Hannah Mira Plotkin. Let's dive right in. Welcome everyone to this week's episode. Ooh. We're incredibly empowered and thankful to be here. We're getting really close to hitting a huge podcast milestone. I'm not quite sure when this episode is coming out. So shoot us an email if we've already hit 50 episodes at diverightinpodcast at gmail.com. And also, if you would like to receive our new newsletter that we're working on sending out, shoot us an email and we'll, we'll get that to you. You can, uh, yes, of course, you can also text us. You can... You can also subscribe to it easily from our website where there's a page. And while you're there, you can just check out our links. We have amazing resources and everything like that. So thank you, Hannah, for highlighting that. So this week, we are so excited about the topic. This is such an important and pressing just topic and conversation. We're going to be talking about multiple different just areas of toxicity. So this includes toxic masculinity, toxic friends, toxic friendships, toxic mindsets, toxic relationships, toxic environments, and so many more. And there's so many subtopics in and of these. But this is a topic that we're always talking about and one that we've been wanting to do for a long time. I know we always say that. But this, and also toxic, just the word toxic is a very it's a very relevant word and something that is used so commonly and something that's really, I I think it's really blown up in the past couple months and maybe even uh, past maybe years um, on social media. I agree. And I think it's really important that we're spreading awareness about this issue because there can easily be relationships that go south in a really negative way. So we're definitely going to get more into this um, in a few minutes, but for now, Uh, We did want to start us off with another icebreaker question. So seeing how we're talking a lot about um, our relationships and just how that sort of formulates in our um, lives, we wanted to discuss what qualities differentiate a friend versus a peer. And I'll let Jackie hit this one off. Thank you, Hannah. I think this is a very interesting interesting question. I would say a friend is somebody who I'm, I'm an introvert myself. And I'm also somebody who's very kind of awkward at times, and pretty quiet in a school setting, and in settings that are just new environments for me. So a friend is somebody who really compliments that, and who loves me in despite of that, and who helps me, you know, conquer that. And so a lot of my friends do tend to be more introverted people, people who are very athletic, people who just enjoy similar things as me. I, I definitely, you know, there are peers who definitely have these qualities too. And I also have friends who are definitely more extroverted, but just people who, you know, I can be around and they can be around me for, for a long period of time, you know, and we can keep the conversation going and we both are, you know, excited to talk to one another and we both are constantly just excited to see one another. And I think something that, you know, is very just, is definitely a, more of a, a peer for me is definitely somebody who, you know, I'm, I'm quiet. So somebody who's too quiet, or if I'm quiet, somebody who's too outgoing um, is definitely hard for me and hard to, you know, recharge my personal battery for. Hannah, what about you? 
I definitely agree. I think you and I, Jackie, um, we did the Myers-Briggs uh, test the other week, and we have really similar personality traits, uh, personality types. I'm an INFJ, and I think Jackie was an INTP, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, and so in that sense, I think that we value a lot of the same things. And so something that I really care about is making sure that my friends are just honest and just we're easily able to trust each other. I think that trust is sort of a foundation of a really strong friendship. And it's important that, you know, people aren't necessarily hiding things from each other and that it's sort of just like an open path of communication. And with that, I feel like um, with uh, the love languages, now that it's the time that we're recording this around Valentine's Day, I've, I've been learning a lot about um, the five love languages. And I think that one of my love languages is words of affirmation. And so I think I, I think that just having someone that's going to be encouraging and just there for me is also really important. Um, and with that, I think it's just making sure that we're having well-rounded well friends and also diverse friends. I think that diversity is something that I'm really starting to look out for and become more aware of because it's something that has been really covered up and sheltered in the past. So that's just some of the things that I'm really looking for um, in in friendships and just creating creating new bonds with people. Uh, so I wanna I wanna hear Jackie's response, and then maybe she'll hit us off with sort of what toxicity is. Yeah, yeah, Hannah. I think I think that's that. I definitely relate to that. And you actually taught me a little bit about what the different personalities are and how every one of us fits into a personality. And I encourage everyone to take that test. I think we'll definitely link it in the bio it pretty much, or in the blurb, it definitely does teach you a little bit about yourself, maybe some things that you never recognized or put your, were able to put your finger on. And also, I think it kind of brings people closer together. You know, we have like almost the exact same personality, which is pretty cool. And also probably explains or is one of the reasons why we are just such, such close friends and why we're, you know, able to spend like every single moment of every single day together and enjoy every second of it. So I think that's really great. And also, you know, I sent, I sent uh, the personality test to other people and they were able to, you know, find what personality they were and just learn bits about themselves. So they really liked that, you know, my mom really liked that. Um, yeah, so jumping right into the definition of toxic just the Google or Merriam-Webster uh, just uh, definition is, quote, very harmful or unpleasant in a pervasive or insidious way. So I think this really just highlights exactly what toxicity is. And, you know, you can really just have toxic, toxic anything and just put really any any entity to that. And it really, it shows how, you know, there could be amazing friendships and friendships that really lift you up. And then there could be toxic friendships and friendships that really bring you down and take so much out of you in the worst of ways. So Hannah, I would love if you could also add on to that and share your opinion. For sure. I think that something with the definition of toxic is that it's also very fluid and that you're able to sort of change it and adapt it 
to certain situations. So I think that, of course, I value the Merriam-Webster uh, definition, but I also think it's important that we're recognizing in ourselves that we have the power to identify toxicity and that we can sort of define it by our own means. And if something isn't sitting right with you, that it's okay to call something toxic and take um, and take action as if it was toxic, rather than waiting for the affirmation from somebody else to say that it was or wasn't toxic. Uh, so with that, I think that something that's really prevalent in today's society is toxic masculinity. And I think more than we like to admit, toxic masculinity is really all around us. And I'm going to read the definition. I know I just got off of this whole rant of saying that definitions should be fluid, but I think it's important to get a base understanding. Uh, so the concept of toxic masculinity is used in academic and media discussions of masculinity to refer to certain cultural norms that are associated with harm to society and to men themselves. So just to sort of sum up my thoughts, I think toxic masculinity is just the overpowering um, belief that a lot of times men sort of have this inherent nature to see themselves as superior to women, especially in academia. And I see this very prevalently in my personal life here at school, at Zoom school, Woo, love Zoom. Um, and so I think what's really interesting is how this is sort of like an inherent thing that boys have been taught from such a young age. And there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm just gonna pass this off to Jackie and um, sort of hit the ground running on this one. Thank you, Hannah. And thank you for also highlighting the definition there. Yeah, I think this is also something that really is so prevalent and just common in today's society. And even being, you know, in high school and even when we were, or at least I'll speak for just myself here, but even when I was younger, I've definitely seen this from my own peers. And so this is seen, you know, in the workplace, this is seen in more intimate gatherings as well. And this is just, you know, seen in society in general. So I wanna just highlight some behaviors that maybe show toxic masculinity. So these are not all of them. And there are, you know, there's not every single person who is, who represents toxic masculinity is gonna, you know, check all these boxes, but just some to keep in mind, being stoic, being promiscuous, ch championing heterosexuality as the unalterable norm, being violent, being dominant, sexual aggression towards women, not displaying emotion, and not being a feminist ally. So, you know, I'm only 15, so I don't see many of these more, I guess, you know, being promiscuous, for example, but definitely one that I see a lot of is not displaying emotion. And this brings up this whole idea of, you know, we've talked about this in, in the past, especially during the mental health episode, where we really highlighted on more anxiety, but we did touch on this a little bit. There is this whole norm in society that men are not allowed to show emotions or it is not manly to show emotions or, or cry or you know be vulnerable and only women can do that. And it's actually a feminine thing to, to show emotions in general. This is a direct form of toxic masculinity because if we're trying to promote the idea of gender equality and just everyone being equal, everyone should have the right to be able to display their feelings however they please. And this is something that I definitely see in my day-to-day -day lives. I can definitely see this from if I were to compare um, how some of my more male um, role models act 
and, or display their emotions versus my female role models displaying their emotions. And Hannah, I, I would love to hear what you have to say in regards to this, but I definitely do think that, you know, we just have to encourage men to be vulnerable and to make sure that they know it's okay. And you don't need to be totally macho or totally, you know, just manly, quote unquote manly, which, you know, is, that's just a toxic, toxic phrase in and of itself. But um, yeah, like macho all the time. For sure. I think that this really goes into the idea of displaying emotions. And a lot of time people, you know, have this notion that women are too sensitive and that's why they sort of get uh, shadowed from so many different fields of study and interest. And I like to focus more on sort of my personal relationship with toxic masculinity. I'm not going to call anybody out, but if you know me well, there is someone that goes to my school now that I feel as if is constantly um, being um, toxic and sort of having this inherent idea that their ideas are constantly um, more important and should shine brighter than mine. And this person is in a lot of my classes. And thus it can feel really frustrating when I go from class to class to class. And I'm trying to sort of create this environment where I'm able to learn and grow and really be myself. But then at the same time, I'm being met with sort of this hostility. But in a sense, it may just be unknown hostility. I think that there's a lot of miseducation surrounding toxic masculinity. And with that, it's this inherent idea that people aren't necessarily educated on the topic and don't necessarily know how to identify it um, in themselves. So for me, the way that this sort of manifests is I'll try to say something, but I'll either get cut off by this specific person, um, like they'll unmute and start talking over me, or they'll sort of respond after I'm saying, but in a sort of derogatory way that's saying, you know, branching off of what Hannah said, but then either taking credit for my idea by saying branching off of what Hannah said, and then just re-elaborating, or uh, sort of the opposite and saying, you know, not to play devil's advocate, but, and then sort of disagreeing with me. And a lot of times because this person gets the final word in, that's sort of what the teacher uh, runs with. And I've seen this a lot in various classes. It's not just one person. It's not just one teacher. It's not just one class. It's sort of this entire situation. And to be honest, I'm not entirely sure if this is because I identify as female or any of that, or if it's just, you know, this person's personality to be very outgoing um, and tend to lean this way. But in my opinion, I would definitely classify this under toxic masculinity because in a way they're just being derogatory towards me and also towards themselves and really, you know, harming my education, but also inherently harming their education because in a sense, they're not necessarily thinking for themselves, but rather sort of either going off on what I'm saying or just, you know, disagreeing with me in a sense. Um, and this really ties into the idea of mansplaining, uh, which is sort of the same idea. And I realized that um, I was supposed to be talking about toxic masculinity and really went off on mansplaining there. Uh, so Jackie, I would sort of love to hear your thoughts here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for elaborating on that and sharing your own experiences there. I can definitely, you know, I can relate to that. I can relate to that in a sense, but, you know, whether that is, you know, that just that person's personality or, or directly because you are a female, is you know either way it is it is very unfortunate and definitely not um desirable in any way um and yeah just very unfortunate that you have to they have to go through that before we highlight mansplaining i do want to briefly briefly touch on the on the phrase boys will be boys 
So this is a phrase that is very, this, this still ties into toxic masculinity, but boys will be boys is a, is a phrase that is very common and it pretty much shows that boys will act, I guess, mischievous and it shouldn't, it shouldn't come as a surprise. And it shows that this behavior, this poor bad behavior is excusable. And boys will be boys, you know, I see it, you know, even like at, at camp, for example, I see large, large flags hanging over the boys tab and just saying boys will be boys or Saturdays are for the boys, whatever they are. And just showing, showing to going to show that, you know, this this bad behavior is is not really excusable i saw this thing on instagram a while back and it was like bad boys are not bad boys they're just bad people and i don't necessarily agree with this completely because i think nobody is a fully bad person i think people have bad actions but i do have to say that a bad boy or or a bad anything um but specifically a bad boy is not it shouldn't be excusable or desirable. People should take ownership of their actions and their gender and whatever they identify for should not excuse their bad actions. And this just highlights toxic masculinity because it shows that, you know, boys are able to act this way and it's excused, but women are not. And there's no girls will be girls. Girls being girls is girls being polite, well-mannered and very studious. Um, and maybe more, even if we're speaking a little bit more gender stereotypes, maybe even like um, house housewives, um, which is kind of, you know, more 19, 1960s, but, you know, still more of a gender stereotype. So kind of more elaborating more on mansplaining. So mansplaining is a term that means pretty much to comment on or explain something to a woman in the con condescending, overconfident, and often inaccurate or oversimplified manner. So Hannah, I think this is exactly ties into or just sort of shows what you are kind of talking a little bit more about there with your experiences in school. And I think mansplaining, I, I think this is, you have to I definitely think that there are people in my females in my class that definitely, you know, are more dominant, but I can that maybe talk over me in a more condescending way. But I think that there are so many more boys in my class and men that do this that I, I it's not even comparable in my in my opinion. So Hannah, I would love if you could talk about, you know, where it's seen and also, you know, why it is so toxic. Yeah, for sure. And I apologize for going off on mansplaining in the middle of our toxic masculinity aspect, but this just goes to show how correlated they are and how sort of this idea that uh, of toxic masculinity and of just, you know, not being able to show emotions sort of really ties into this idea of mansplaining and of just, you know, taking credit for other things that aren't necessarily deserved or any of these ideas. And I think that what's really interesting is how often mansplaining is seen, not just in you know, high school and academia, but also in the workplace and in society in general. And something that really sticks out to me about mansplaining would be in politics. Um, I think um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, which you guys, I have ranted about her for so many, so many times, and I know Jackie's opinion on AOC, but um, AOC has the story of, you know, 
being treated differently on the Capitol because she was a female and being talked down to and her views um, not necessarily being taken, you know, in such of a stride as many others because of the way that she identifies um, as a female. And so with that, I think it's important that we are taking proactive steps against mansplaining and being able to realize, you know, what this is and why it's harmful. Um, and with that, it can be really hard to identify, to be honest. And what's unfortunate is that it sort of falls on, you know, us women and us non-binary pals uh, to sort of uh, be the ones to educate the rest of the world on mansplaining. And a few episodes back, we were talking with Lorelai and Lorelai was saying with the LGBTQ plus community, she doesn't see herself as responsible for educating the rest of the world on LGBTQ plus matters. And I sort of really agree with this in this connotation as well, because it's important that we're not just seeing women as advocates for women, but that we're seeing and of girls and of feminism and just of everyone in general and female identifying people. Um, but that in general, everyone's going to try and be a better advocate for each other. And, you know, I could tie this to so many Jewish phrases, but my favorite one that I've definitely highlighted before is we're all responsible for one another. And this responsibility not only comes in the sense of making sure that, you know, we're stopping toxicity in its track, but it also comes in the sense that we're making sure that we're not necessarily only speaking up for minorities or groups that we're a part of making sure that we're group that we're a part of groups uh, sorry making sure that we're speaking up for groups that are often marginalized and aren't necessarily deserving the attention uh, that they have that they deserve I apologize uh, so Jackie has this really cool flow chart um, about mansplaining and I just wanted to highlight a little bit of a little bit about uh, what the flow chart says because I think it can really help identify it um, so I think that this whole idea of does a woman or a female identifying person ask you to explain something? And if the answer is yes, then it's not mansplaining. But if the answer is no, then it's most likely mansplaining. And there's multiple different iterations of this. Um, but in a sense, I think that a lot of these sort of experiences correlate back to mansplaining. And I know that Jackie has also done a lot of research and has some personal experiences with this as well. So I'm gonna pass the mic off to you, Queen. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. And yeah, I really, I wanted to highlight that. And I just wanted to emphasize that, you know, every, it's not mansplaining. Every single time a man explains something, like he, he should not be, you know, like worried or thinking that, oh, every time I explain something, it's mansplaining. That is not true. And that's why I highlighted three questions and also wanted to talk a little bit or elaborate more on the flow chart. It really, like Hannah said, it really, it, it, it bring it, it gets down to three things, three questions. Do they want the explanation? Are you making bad assumptions about competence? How does bias affect your interpretation of the above? So the, okay, so pretty much as the flow chart goes, like Hannah said, the first question is, did she ask you to explain it or did they ask you to explain it? Again, if the answer is yes, it is most likely not. It, it is not mansplaining. If the answer is no, then you ask yourself, do you have more relevant experience? If it's yes by a far amount, it is likely not mansplaining. You do need to ask yourself again, did, did you ask if she needed it explained? If she has much more, much more experience, did not, and she did not ask you to explain it, or 
and you did not ask if she needed it explained, it is definitely mansplaining and it recommends that you just stop talking, which is very, you know, that that is very um, harsh, but it's important to just, you know, realize that this is toxic behavior. So like Hannah said, you know, this is definitely seen um, in just society and in the workplace. And me being 15, I don't see this very often. I I don't have that much experience of my own compared to most people in the society around us. So I do usually, you know, need things explained to me and everyone should, you know, feel comfortable asking for help and, and getting things explained to them. All right. So switching gears a little bit, we wanted to talk about toxic friends and toxic friendships, which kind of correlate and to each other. And they kind of, you know, they, they relate to each other uh, definitely. So I'm going to read the definition. So, or just, you know, some signs how to recognize. If you find yourself feeling disgruntled and unhappy with a friend's behavior, more often than not, you may be in a toxic friendship. They're jealous of you or your other friendships. They insult you or are mean to you. They are passive aggressive towards you. They act jealous of you. So I was doing a lot of research here and I definitely, I, I can highlight some toxic friendships that I've had in the past that I'm still, you know, trying to distance myself from. And that is something that, you know, is very difficult to kind of cut off or distance yourself from these toxic friendships. But something that, you know, when I was going through one, a toxic friendship not that long ago, something that I realized was definitely toxic behavior and something that differentiated the toxic friendship I had to maybe a very healthy friendship that I have. Um, for example, my friendship with Hannah. So something that is that definitely differentiate them is that the toxic friendship they and I speak you know from from my point of view I don't know their point of view but they they weren't happy for me and a key thing was that everything was a competition when it shouldn't be and that is a very dangerous state for a friendship to get in because every single thing is competitive and it it gets in the way of of just be being able to be happy for each other and that's exactly what happened and I would like to just quickly highlight that a friendship does not start out toxic it is once people grow and once people develop over time and really see each other and and see you know as you share more of of who you are and as they share more of who they are and once you just become more vulnerable and just time time just comes along you know that's when the top that's when the friendship becomes toxic and then Hannah I, I would love if you could kind of elaborate on this and um, maybe share a little bit more of how you can recognize this yeah thank you for that Jackie I think you bring up a really good point of toxicity in friendships especially because it's really hard to pinpoint when and why toxic friendships be uh, when and why uh, toxic friendships become toxic because they don't necessarily start off as such. I don't think anybody goes into a relationship being like, oh, this person is toxic. Let me be friends with them. I think that that's the exact opposite of what people are trying to do. I think in a sense, you're always just looking out uh, for yourself and for your the nature of yourself. And so with that, it can be really hard to pinpoint toxicity. And I think that a lot of times toxicity isn't noticed until after, you know, it can be too late. 
because it can be really upsetting to, you know, look at a really close friend and then in the end realize that they're toxic. And I don't necessarily have so many personal experiences with this myself. And I'm very grateful and in a very privileged spot to be able to acknowledge this. But um, there's another really interesting uh, infographic here that Jackie and I are looking at right now about toxicity. And there's just some of the questions and answers. And it's sort of like a diagnostic test. So the first question is, do, you, do they make you feel bad about yourself? And with that, I just wanna leap off of that. I think that a lot of times toxic friendships are very draining because it's sort of someone is you know constantly asking you for things and you're not really getting anything in return. And in a sense, that can make you feel bad about yourself. And with that, there's another question here in this diagnostic that says, do they drain you emotionally and mentally? And I think I've definitely, you know, had long days where, you know, I'm just like ready to crash. I mean, yesterday I literally had a nap for like an hour um, and a half or longer, I hate to admit. Um, but with that, I think that's like a great way to sort of realize how you're feeling in relationship to the rest of um, friendships that aren't necessarily toxic. It's just running through um, the, this diagnostic. Another question is, do they use their power to control you? And this can sort of tie into superiority issues, which I feel like a lot of people have. I know that I've certainly struggled with power dynamics between teachers and myself or, you know, people on different boards of organizations and myself, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and so in a sense, this toxicity can seem like you, you are the one that's causing it, but that's what's inherently toxic about a friendship is that you're not the one that's causing the toxicity, it's the other person. And so that can be something that can be really hard to cope with and that can be a big struggle in friendships. Um, I know that there's so many other things that tie into toxic friendships. Uh, sort of how to build yourself up and how to after, you know, ending a toxic friendship and things like that. So uh, Jackie, I'll let you take that one. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you. I want to just briefly em emphasize a couple of points and just give some some reminders. But I want to I want to highlight that even though French healthy friendships are there to you know build you up, encourage you, love you despite of your differences, check in on you, all those things, all those boxes do not need to be checked all the time, twenty four hours of the day, you know, just twenty four seven to be a healthy friendship. Friendships, you know, you need to make sure that it's a two-way street. You need to make sure that, you know, when you're down, the friend, your friend is there checking on you. And when they're down, you are right there by their side. And this is something that I really want to highlight because I know that no person is always going to be able to give and give and give. People are, you know, humans, we need to give and receive. And sometimes we are not our 100%. And it's difficult to, you know, to, you know, be social if you're an introvert, or, you know, be by yourself if you're more extroverted. And a, a good friend is somebody who, who is just there for you, um, mentally, physically, emotionally. And I, I want to highlight that I think that's, I think that's a very important um message and I don't want, I don't think anybody should have to change to be these ways I think I think you know friends friends complement each other you don't have to you know you're not required a friend is not you know maybe not the right person for you if you have to change in order to be a good friend for them or you know change just who you are um not necessarily your powers um yeah but I did want to highlight this one thing that really that was very interesting to me. 
So it said people can be annoying, difficult, demanding, and rude. Those are not toxic traits. They're just unpleasant. And while you don't have to keep those relationships going, you won't feel the same need or urgency to cut them out of your life like those that have toxic traits. Toxicity has its own spectrum and everyone has their own level of tolerance for it. So some of the most common toxic traits to avoid in friends include they control you, they disregard your boundaries, they're always right, they play the victim, they take without giving, and they guilt trip you. So these are just some examples. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people are going to do things that you don't like, and that does not mean that they are toxic. That might mean, you know, that they're going through something emotionally, that might mean, you know, that you might not want to be their friend or they're just not the kind of um, personality that you know works works with you um, in the nicest way but that doesn't necessarily mean they're toxic and so it's important to you know not just cut every single person out of your life just because they annoyed you once or just because they're having a rough day or they're having you know a rough time and it's been difficult for them to you know give back you know if, if they there are different traits that um, differentiate the two. So Hannah, I would love if you could elaborate on this a little bit. Yeah, Jackie, I think you bring up a lot of really, really valid points there about how to recognize toxic friendships and then, you know, how to reconcile with them in the end. And it's definitely really tough to go about doing so. And a lot of times it's important to have a sort of like a safe friend or a parent or an adult figure that you can trust, that you can come to with these sorts of issues to, um, sort of reconcile with together because it can be really harmful for your mental health to be going through these sort of situations on your own. And with mental health, there are some things called toxic mindsets. And I think that they're especially prevalent in developing teens and, you know, high schoolers. So we did want to highlight that as well. Uh, so a toxic mindset is sort of the idea that everyone has a mindset that influences the same way they see the world and colors their views, but not all of them are the same. Some are healthy. Um, those are the ones that allow people to grow throughout their lives, learn about themselves and be in control of their happiness. But some can be unhealthy. Uh, those are the ones that become an obstacle standing in the way of success and leading to unhappiness. And that was an excerpt from a source that we'll be linking below, but I think it's really powerful. I think it's this idea that you shouldn't necessarily be blaming yourself for toxicity, but also it's really important that we're acknowledging that we do have imminent ability to influence our mindsets, even when they become toxic, but that at the same time, remembering that we aren't necessarily, you know, to blame for these toxic mindsets. I think that there's a balance there, sort of a struggle of, you know, what caused the mindset, but also not blaming it on yourself. And that can, you know, put you in a really dark place. And I'm really fortunate to not necessarily have any examples of um, sort of depression and this sort of idea that sticks out to me. But I think that there's definitely ideas um, where someone else is overpowering you and you can really get in your head about that. And this just goes on to show how mansplaining and toxic masculinity really sticks out. And I have this sort of personal story that I'd love to highlight. Um, if you did go to my own school, I apologize if I'm about to insult you. Um, I don't mean this in a bad way at all, but there was this one year where I was working on this really big project for uh, Judaics class and I was paired up with a girl she is so sweet and continues to be such a great friend of mine but we were getting in a disagreement about how to go about presenting this artistically um, and we were supposed to be presenting this idea using art and neither of us are inherently artistic 
and that's sort of just you know I don't I don't have the best you know artistic abilities um, with painting and so our teacher assigned us a boy after this person this boy sort of came in he was sort of meant to be our savior in a sense to come help us work through this challenge and that made me feel really self-conscious because I had this whole idea of how I wanted to present um, this Judaic value um, artistically. And after this idea was shot down by this boy, it was sort of, you know, put in this place where, oh no, that's a horrible idea and that's not gonna, that's not gonna work out. And thankfully this was a few years ago and we've since grown and I've become good friends with this person. But I sort of got in my head about that and it made me feel really, um, really self-conscious about, you know, are my ideas actually good? And how can I reconcile with this idea of whether or not I'm creating sort of this wave around me of negativity and what sort of manifests in this idea? So this sort of show goes to show this whole long-winded story goes to show that it's not just about toxic mindsets, but there's usually some other toxicity behind it that sort of influences it. And I think that there's definitely instances and situations where your mindset is sort of the only toxic thing that that's sort of causing this whole experience, but that also there can be other influences um, in your life. And I know that a lot of people sort of have different um, experiences with this, and it's just important that we're realizing, you know, what these experiences are and are able to cope with them. And it's totally valid to have these feelings. We're not trying to invalidate everyone, but what we are trying to say is that it is important that we are arming ourselves with the tools necessary to create positive change and just positive, positive vibes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Thank you for sharing that story there, Hannah. So something to, something that, something that I think of when I think of toxic mindsets, actually, I think of kind of the opposite. When we were when we met with Milk, when we interviewed Milk a while back, um, gosh, I think that was over the summer already, which she was, that was an amazing episode, probably one of my all-time favorites, if not my favorite. I encourage you all to go back and listen to that one. But something really interesting about her and something that really stuck with me was that she, she doesn't use the word should. She tells nobody, oh, they should, or I should. I watched an interview of her and she was going to say, you all should go listen to my music. And she caught herself in the middle and she was like, you all should, I mean, you all, if you want, you can go listen to my music at Apple, at on Apple Podcasts or, or Apple Music, wherever she was, you know, whatever she was um, directing them to or talking about. But she doesn't use the word should. And that is a very healthy mindset because that is something that, you know, shows that you know, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything in particular. There's not a, a certain path or a certain way that you have to be. And everybody is different and different things are going to work for different people, different, you know, just everybody is different in just so many different ways. So we need to recognize that in ourselves and realize that, not, that you know, everything that's possible for for other people is is possible for us too and we might need you know take different approaches or or you know do different things to get there and we might just not have the exact same goals as other people but you know we should have you know we need to have you know big goals for ourselves and know that you know small steps small steps matter and you know 
it's everything is is within reach if we really put our mind to it and that those are abundant goals and those are that is definitely a, a healthy mindset and Hannah I would love if you could you know elaborate a little bit on that as well Yeah, for sure. I think that this idea of goal setting can really not only create this positive environment, but it's sort of this like little win idea. And I was on business TikTok the other day, and there's this whole idea that, you know, millionaires and billionaires get up at 5 a.m. and make their bed. And that's the first thing that they do every morning. And this is sort of um, a goal that they set for themselves. And I would personally classify this um, under the abundant goals category, as Jackie was sort of um, elaborating on, but it's this idea that you're starting your day off with a win. And I think it's really cool how this sort of correlates to this idea of mindsets and ensuring that we're not necessarily getting into a toxic mindset, but that we're starting the day off on the right foot. And I know that this doesn't necessarily um, correlate as much to this idea of toxic goals, but it does correlate into the sense of making sure that you're taking these small steps to make a positive change and a positive impact. Um, in your life. And if it's not possible for you to make your bed, start off with something else like, you know, eating a healthy breakfast, trigger warning food, or um, anything else just like that. Um, so there's just some key reminders that can also be used as mantras that Jackie and I really wanted to highlight. Um, maybe we'll go back and forth talking about them. So the first one is to remind people that healing doesn't come overnight and everything's a journey and everything's a process and we need to honor and respect that system. Jackie, number two. Yes, do not change yourself to fit into societal norms. This is, you know, very important. something that we're always trying to emphasize. You are perfect just the way you are. And yes, growth is going to come. And yes, you're going to, you know, change over time. But it's important to always be yourself and to remember that, you know, who you are is, is, is amazing. And we all will love you for that. For sure. Super important. The next one is it is okay to be different, but make sure you're accepting, respecting, and loving those around you. So this is sort of this idea that your positivity can also feed off of other people's positivity. And so helping out someone else can also uh, influence you in a positive way as well. Yeah, for sure. So lastly, as always, make sure to check in on your friends, especially during COVID and quarantine and just during this day and age with all this, you know, political unrest and whatnot, except, you know, Biden is our president now. Um, which is, you know, as always very exciting, but always check in on your friends, whether it's quarantine or not, whether it's COVID or not, whether, the, whether you know that they're going through something or not, just make sure and show them that you're there for them. Definitely an important one during this time. Um, so I just wanted to sort of conclude by saying that there's a lot of things that we can be taking as preventative and proactive measures, but that it is really important to also remember that it's not necessarily on you to fix the world or to, you know, be the sort of like savior figure. But so we're going to make sure that we're linking mental health resources in the description as always. And just know that they're there for you if you ever need help and just make sure that you have someone to talk to. And that's that's sort of key. That's it for this week's episode of Dive Right In with Jackie. If you liked what you heard, you can find us on Instagram at Dive Right In Podcast, 
as well as the rest of our links and socials found in our link tree, also in our Instagram bio. Our website is www.diverightinpodcast.weebly.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. You can leave any additional feedback at diverightinpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And you just... Dove right Bye. in. Bye.